0: Okay, Boomer.
1: Okay, Boomer. Okay, Boomer.
0: Okay, Boomer. Okay,
2: Boomer.
1: Okay, kid. Now, for some of us, the holidays are rougher than the rest of the year. So, some of us need a little encouragementology with Kendall Boyson.
2: Just like your miraculous body has incredible self-healing capabilities, so
1: does your resolve. We'll hear from Kendall in a few minutes. And when you listen to the Boomer newscast in a minute, you might be listening to a certain story and say, what, that doesn't make any sense, but maybe it does.
0: Yeah, what we teach is kind of along those lines of helping people understand what they're actually looking at.
1: That's Ali Quick, who is with the News Literacy Project. And do you remember 2001 A Space Odyssey? Remember Hal, the robotic autopilot?
3: Open the pod day doors, please, Hal. I'm sorry, Dave. I'm afraid I can't do that.
1: Media guru Dick Taylor believes there might be a lot of howls in our future. Then-Medicare counselor Kim Scheffner will examine original Medicare. Kate Leinart will talk about Medicare scams. Edward R. Murrow will look at the roaring 20s and see if they rhyme with today. And Jill Graskowitz will talk about a useful gift that can be used to defend yourself from the holidays. That's all next, after the news. Boomer News, I'm Robert Rickman. For the seventh straight week, the nation's average price of gasoline has dropped, falling seven cents from a week ago to three thirty-eight per gallon this week, according to GasBuddy data compiled from more than 12 million individual price reports, covering over 150,000 gas stations across the country. The national average is down 32.8 cents from a month ago and 40.6 cents per gallon lower than a year ago. The national average price of diesel has fallen 6.6 cents in the last week and stands at 438 per gallon, 93 cents lower than one year ago. Gas Buddy reports that the decline is likely to continue for at least another couple of weeks, with California likely soon falling below $5, while more states will fall under $3. Millions of Americans already have access to $299 gallon or cheaper, and it's expected that number will continue to grow this week. While in Cape Girardeau, Missouri, this week um, I uh, filled up for 288. While oil prices have generally moved lower in recent weeks, Saudi Arabia and Russia confirmed they'd continue their supply cuts through the end of 2023, establishing a firmer floor on oil prices as they've fallen $13 per barrel from their late summer high of 94. Now according to GasBuddy demand data driven by its Pay with GasBuddy fuel card US retail gasoline demand saw a rise of 1.3% for the week ending October 28th. The medium US gas price is 3.19 per gallon now, down 6 cents from last week and about 19 cents lower than the national average. And now let's talk about my favorite drug of choice caffeine. This from Journal Psychology Today. A large body of evidence shows coffee provides health benefits. Coffee has been found to help prevent cardiovascular disease, and there is some evidence it helps to prevent certain types of cancer. Data also shows coffee may help stave off neurodegenerative diseases. It's not an exaggeration to say that America runs on coffee, some 400 million cups a day, according to the most recent data from the National Coffee Association. That works out to about nine pounds of coffee per person per year. So coffee is a significant source of caffeine, a stimulant that sparks wakefulness and energy. It also enhances cognition. While it certainly keeps us awake and alert. What are the long-term health effects of drinking coffee? Researchers have been asking this question for decades. In recent years, the evidence is pointing to a clear answer. And that answer is, the most current scientific literature demonstrates that coffee is a superfood. Data show it helps prevent cancer, heart disease, diabetes, and Parkinson's disease, just to name a few benefits. Let's take a closer look at the evidence. First, a review article in Trends in Cardiovascular Medicine summarizes the evidence showing that consuming two to three cups of coffee each day leads to beneficial effects on metabolic syndrome, helping to reduce high blood sugar, high cholesterol levels, and excess weight around the waist. It reduces your chances of developing coronary heart disease, arrhythmia, heart failure, and stroke decreasing your risk of dying from cardiovascular disease. It also reduces the body's sensitivity to insulin, decreasing your risk of developing diabetes. And there are more and more bits of evidence that suggest that coffee is the thing to do, the thing to drink. There's something else. After you drink your coffee, take a walk and walk quickly. Researchers say they have found a link between fast walking and reduced risk of diabetes. A new study suggests that walking at a speed of two and a half miles per hour significantly lowers the risk for type 2 diabetes. Semnan University of Medical Sciences in Iran conducted the study. The conclusion suggests that for every one-half mile an hour increase in speed is associated with a 9% reduction risk of diabetes. When compared with strolling at less than the average walking speed of 2 miles per hour, an increase to 3 miles per hour caused a 15% lower risk of type 2 diabetes, regardless of the time spent walking. Here's a question from the American Diabetes Association as we continue with that theme. Do people with diabetes have a higher chance of serious complications from COVID-19? The answer is people with diabetes are more likely to have serious complications from COVID-19. In general, people with diabetes are more likely to have more severe symptoms and complications when affected with any virus. Your risk of getting very sick from COVID-19 is likely to be lower if your diabetes is well-managed. Having heart disease or other complications in addition to diabetes could worsen the chance of getting seriously ill from COVID-19, like other viral infections, because more than one condition makes it harder for your body to fight infection. Viral infections can also increase inflammation or internal swelling in people with diabetes. This can also be caused by above-target blood sugars, and that inflammation could contribute to more severe complications. Well, Scripps Health, a major Southern California health care provider, announced in September the beginning next year its popular clinic and coastal medical groups will no longer accept patients enrolled in Medicare Advantage. That's the managed care alternative to traditional Medicare offered by commercial insurance companies. That has left 32,000 San Diego seniors rushing to find either new health care options or new insurance for 2024. Disabled people who qualify for Medicare before they turn 65 are also affected. And Scripps is not alone. At least a half-dozen other health care systems around the U.S. are terminating Advantage contracts. Medicare's annual enrollment period is underway, and it ends on December 7th. If you are enrolled in traditional Medicare Parts A and B paired with Medigap, there is no need to review that coverage. But Part D prescription drug or Medicare Advantage coverage should be reviewed. This is also the time when you can move between Advantage and other traditional Medicare. And staying on the subject, for the past month or so, you've heard us talk about SHIP. SHIP is the state health insurance assistant program and is located in every state of the union. You can talk with a SHIP counselor for free, just like what we are going to do next. SHIP Medicare Counselor Kim Scheffner talks about the ABCs of Medicare, starting with the original Medicare Part A for 2024.
4: Which covers inpatient hospital insurance. These benefits can be very confusing for the beneficiary and practitioners alike. Your 2024 Medicare & You Handbook can help you a great deal, and also the staff at your skilled nursing or hospital system can also help you with these benefits. Uh, There are four types of services that are covered by Original Medicare Part A. That is inpatient hospitalization, which is for a semi-private room and board, general nursing, inpatient drugs, and miscellaneous hospital services and supplies. The second one is for skilled nursing, or SNF or SNF for short. Um, That does not include custodial care like nursing homes or home care that you may have, Uh, when people come in to clean or do food prep. The third one is home health care, which is after a prior inpatient hospital visits and is good for up to 100 visits. And then there's hospital care, hospice care, which is available to the terminally ill. The benefit period for the inpatient hospitalization for the first 60 days, Medicare pays all but $1,632. The beneficiary pays $1,632 per benefit period. Days 61 to 90th day, Medicare pays all but $408 a day, and the beneficiary will pay $408 a day. You begin a new Part A benefit period after after you have been home for 60 consecutive days. There is not a limit how many benefit periods that you can have. There is a lifetime reserve of 60 days. For those reserve days, Medicare will pay all but $816 a day, and the beneficiary will pay that $816 a day. For the beneficiary co-pays and coinsurance that they have, those may be picked up by your Medicare supplement plan. Beyond 150 days, Medicare will pay nothing and all costs will have to be paid by the beneficiary. Please remember that most Medicare Supplemental plans do not pay for anything that Medicare does not approve. For the skilled nursing facility, the first 20 days, Medicare pays all costs and the beneficiary will pay nothing. Days 21 through 100, Medicare will pay all but $204 a day and the beneficiary will have to pay that $204 a day or their Medicare supplement. Beyond 100 days, Medicare will pay nothing and all costs are paid by the beneficiary. Home health is the third segment that Medicare Part A pays for. After a prior inpatient hospitalization stay, Medicare will pay up to 100 days. Visits are limited to medically necessary, part-time skilled care of a homebound individual. Medicare pays for all costs and services and the beneficiary will pay nothing. Hospice available to the terminally ill is the last part that Medicare Part A pays for. It is unlimited and has a renewable benefit period. All but limited costs for outpatient drugs and inpatient respite care is paid by Medicare. The beneficiary pays for $5 for each outpatient prescription drug and 5% of the Medicare approved respite care. Please remember that beneficiaries to receive skilled nursing care must be hospitalized under Part A in an inpatient hospital coverage for at least three consecutive days for the same illness prior to the admission to a Medicare-approved skilled nursing facility. Uh, The rules are very complicated um, about how they decide what the three consecutive days are So if you are hospitalized and need to go to a skilled nursing facility, please make sure that uh, you are aware of that and and the benefits for that. If you also, if you're being discharged before you feel you are ready from any of these services, you may file an appeal with Medicare or your Medicare Advantage plan, which when you file an appeal, it should immediately suspend the discharge until a final determination has been made.
1: Next time, we'll talk about 2024 Medicare Part B. That was Medicare Counselor Kim Scheffner of the Egyptian Area Agency on Aging, located in southern Illinois. But you don't have to reside in Illinois to take her advice, because what Kim just said applies nationwide. To find the SHIP counselor in your state, contact your local senior center, regional agency on aging, a library, or your state government website. Here in southern Illinois, you can call egyptian area agency on aging 618-985-8311 or visit the website egyptian and we go from enrolling to medicare to being scammed by people who say they're from medicare kate Kleinark from aarp tells us tis the season for medicare
2: scams if you or a loved one is on medicare it's open enrollment season which also means it's Medicare fraud season. Eligible beneficiaries have until December 7th to shop for the best deal for their healthcare dollar. Year after year, Medicare scams spike during open enrollment season. Heed these tips to ensure you're protected. Don't engage with any unsolicited offers for a new Medicare card. Only provide your Medicare number to healthcare providers at the time you are actively seeking service. Monitor and review your Medicare statements for claims for services or supplies that you did not receive. If you've been solicited by a potential Medicare scammer, contact Medicare. For more details about Medicare open enrollment and how to stay protected, please visit aarp.org PA.
1: Kate Kleinart from uh, AARP. Okay, Boomer. Okay, kid. Now, for some people, the holidays are not as fulfilling as they should be. Kendall Boyson of Encouragementology is here with a solution.
2: Hi, Robert. On this show, we are rising together by navigating life's challenges with perspective and empathy. No matter what age you are, I think we can all agree that life delivers some rough patches, knee-buckling blows, and what may feel like unsurmountable issue after issue. But guess what? Just like your miraculous body has incredible self-healing capabilities, so does your resolve. The survival instinct is like a powerful toolbox loaded with things like will, problem-solving, adrenaline, logical thinking, just to name a few. We also have anger, fear, panic, grief, care, pleasure, lust, and play. Interestingly, it's thought that the most powerful instinct is seeking something that we generally give little thought or credence to. This is the instinct that moves us to explore our environment in order to meet our needs. All this to say, hang in there. It may not be as bad as it seems, and if it is, you've got skills to tap into to right the situation and get you moving forward. 500 years ago, Michael de Montaigne said, "'My life has been filled with terrible misfortune, "'most of which never happened.'" Before you hitch up your saddle feathers proclaiming the sky is falling, let's take a much-needed pause to figure some things out. At Resilience Dynamic, I found some important definitions. Why Perspective Matters – Understanding the Importance of Different Viewpoints Perspective is the way that we view and interpret the world around us. It shapes our thoughts, emotions, and actions, and can greatly impact our overall well-being. By learning to shift our perspective, we can gain new insights and find creative solutions to life's challenges. Let's explore the importance of perspective and how it can help us navigate through difficult times. Highly resilient people always seek different perspectives. This helps them avoid being trapped by any patterned ways of thinking, doing, or being. How can you create the space to get perspective? Connect with how to be more. Being present is one of the top three enablers of your resilience. Which of these being present behaviors do you do already, and which do you want to do more of? Taking a moment out. Counting to 10 before responding. Going for a walk to clear your head. Watching a sunset or sunrise or enjoying a similar beautiful moment in nature. Becoming kinder to yourself in the moment, no matter what your thoughts are. Doing that hobby or sport that allows you to cut off from everything else. Practicing yoga, Pilates, meditation, or mindfulness. The second step is to consider the conditions you need to get perspective. There are four key drivers. Number one, your energy. How much energy have you got in your tank? If this is too low, forget trying to do anything else other than topping the energy off. Number two, your curiosity. What would be most interesting for you to discover about this whole situation? Number three, the time available. Nothing will change unless you give yourself some time and space to notice for real what's going on. Number four, your commitment to doing well, doing right in the situation. How much does it matter to you or to others? Seeking perspective is a fabulous way to get out of the firefighting trap. Perspective plays a crucial role in resilience, growth, and self-awareness. When you can step outside of your own experiences and see things from a different point of view, you can better understand yourself and your place in the world. This can help you identify personal strengths and weaknesses, as well as your biases and blind spots. By recognizing these things, you can work to improve yourself and become a more well-rounded individual. Perspective is a big one for me, and it took a long time to see different perspectives. I talk about it a lot, gaining a different vantage point so you can kind of see the bigger picture. You know, there's times in your life where you just can't get that vantage point, and you might easily overreact, like this is a huge problem, or all your problems are the same problem. They just get all intertwined. And you might think you're the only one in conflict, right? You get lost in your own problems and you become very isolated. When you become isolated and you keep playing those over and over in your head, you can be paralyzed to do anything about it. So instead, you just kind of succumb to, well, this is the way it is. This is the cards I've been dealt. This is the hand I have to play. And you might ruminate over and over again in your mind instead of searching for a solution. You know, it's very um, apparent that people can play the same issue over and over again, and they're still dealing with some of the same issues instead of looking for a solution. So think about the way that you navigate obstacles. Like, what do you do? How do you get around them? Is it with additional time do you reach out for help do you seek knowledge for the particular issue that you're dealing with do you partake in prayer looking for a divine answer intervention it's important to understand what you do if we just hit a challenge and stop and that's it well then you're just going to load up all these challenges And it's easy to overreact and not put it into perspective. Like, is this a big deal? On a scale, what would I rate this particular challenge? So I challenge you. Take a moment before you react to put each challenge you face into perspective. Reach out for help with problem solving versus isolating with your issues. All boats rise when we lift those around us. I know you can do it. Back to you, Robert, and OK Boomer.
1: Ah, putting things in perspective, something this baby Boomer is still learning.
2: If you want to share Encouragementology with a friend who needs to know they're not alone in this journey of self-discovery, you can visit Encouragementology.com or anywhere you stream your content to receive this episode and all others. Follow us on Facebook and Instagram for additional encouragement throughout the week. So I challenge you, invite in a trusted friend or professional to help you evaluate your thoughts. Instead of living with guilt, shame, and overwhelm, push back and be willing to take responsibility where you can and let go of what is no longer serving you. I know you can do it. Okay, Boomer.
0: Okay,
1: kid, I'm sure you don't remember the movie 2001 A Space Odyssey and HAL. You know HAL, the computer which attempts to take over the spaceship? Well, HAL might be 22 years late in taking over the world. That's what some people fear about artificial intelligence, and media guru Dick Taylor has some thoughts about AI.
3: Artificial intelligence, also commonly called just AI, seems to be taking over our world. A couple of weeks ago, I asked the question on my blog, is there a future for radio personalities? That blog was my analysis of the latest research done by Jacob Media Strategies for Don Anthony's annual morning show boot camp. I wasn't surprised by the volume of comments about the blog. However, it was sad to find that most people feel the days of making radio a career are over. The impact that air personalities thought AI would make on their future was... Very negative. 76% of the people in the survey agreed with the question, I am personally concerned that AI technology will lead to more on-air radio jobs being lost. And it might be worse than you think. Our universe is estimated to be 26.7 billion years old. Humans on the planet Earth have only been around about 6,000 years. But look at all we've accomplished in such a short period of time. Now, what may be mankind's greatest invention might also be responsible for our demise, AI, or artificial intelligence. This technology has the potential to take away 30% of all jobs within 10 years. Think of all the jobs that AI can do better, and maybe even better than you or I, such as stock trader, truck driver, accountant telemarketer, lawyer, bookkeeper, actor, writer, musician, painter, and yes, radio personality. It would be easier to make a list of all the jobs that cannot be impacted by AI than list those that will. Today's AI voice software can listen to just a few seconds of anyone's voice and completely recreate a replica that is almost indistinguishable from the original. I don't know what's most troubling, that it can be done, that it can be done so quickly, or that it's so easy anyone can do it. Yes, you can do it at home, on your laptop. It's that easy. Call centers are a big business around the world, making up 8% of India's GDP, gross domestic product, 6.3% of Brazil's GDP, And while America outsources the majority of this type of work, the U.S. still employs 3.4 million people who work in call centers. AI has the ability to completely replace everyone in call centers around the world. You don't have to be a political scientist to predict what would happen if 8% of a country's GDP is suddenly wiped away you'll see more people carrying pitchforks and torches than stormed the castle in the movie Beauty and the Beast. I have radio friends that have used their incredible voices to produce audiobooks and earned a good living in the process. AI will replace these talented people as well. It's not just the radio industry that is finding itself in unknown territory. Actors fear they will lose their control of their lucrative likeness, and writers fear they will have to share credit with a machine. It was AI that was at the very heart of the recent actors' and writers' strikes. It's ahead of pay models, benefits, and job protections. Senator Murphy is one of the most outspoken members of Congress on artificial intelligence. He says, when you start to outsource the bulk of human creativity to machines, there comes with that a human rot. He estimates that human beings replaced for creativity by computers will happen at a staggering scale within the next two to three years, and it scares the hell out of them. Senator Murphy believes that it's time to create a new regulatory body like the creation of the FCC, the Federal Communications Commission for Radio and Television, that came into existence when radio came on the scene. Senator Chris Murphy believes there are some really deep spiritual questions at hand here, and he doesn't think policymakers should be shy about talking about it. Let me try and put things in perspective. While humans may have inhabited this planet for 6,000 years, look what has happened in the last 50 years. The personal computer is 50 years old. The iPhone is 16 years old. Today's AI is 5 years old. Of all the many calamities the human race faces in the years ahead, a full-scale nuclear war, climate change or artificial intelligence, it's AI that poses the greatest risk. One highly researched economist's report on AI noted there's more than a 50-50 chance AI will wipe out all of humanity by the middle of the century. If you've ever seen the movie 2001, A Space Odyssey, you probably will remember the scene where Dave asks his computer to open the pod bay doors. Open the pod bay doors, please, Hal. I'm sorry, Dave. I'm afraid I can't do that. We're at that moment in human history when it comes to artificial intelligence. Google co founder Larry Page believes that once computers are smarter than humans, they'll find no use for us humans and they'll simply get rid of us. He sees this as the next step in the evolutionary process. If we don't understand the risks along with the benefits AI brings us, we might end up, like Dave, in 2001, a space odyssey.
1: Yep, and I can see it in broadcasting today. Last week, Hal wanted to play music instead of this program, and he did. Now, Dick Taylor is a certified radio and digital marketing consultant. He's retired as a broadcast professor from Western Kentucky University. Check out his blog at dicktaylorblog.com. That's dicktaylorblog.com. All right, let's get up. It always hurts. And walk to the coffee pot. And we're going to go pet. Oh my God. What happened to you? What happened to you? Uh, I was just kind of enjoying nature
5: for a while, man. It was a really beautiful thing. I was really digging it. And all these birds
1: came around all of a sudden. Man, you got it all over. It's on your head. You got some of it in your eye. You got it all over your jacket. You even got it on your hands. What was this, a a bombing mission for the birds? Uh, Yeah, I don't know, man. I was was kind of walking around, and these birds just came around from nowhere. and, And I was like, get out of here, birds. And they didn't appreciate that. So that went bombs away.
5: One fine day as I was walking down the street.
6: Hi, I'm Bob Smith. I'm Marcia Smith. The world is dark enough. So we like to keep it fun and light. Join us for 30 minutes of fact-filled fun every week.
7: On the Off-Ramp Trivia Podcast.
6: You'll hear fascinating facts about history, music, discovery. Weird animals and everything in between. Including little-known facts about well-known people. Each week. Right here on The the Off-Ramp. Find us wherever you get your podcasts. Or visit us online at theofframp.show.
1: Are you an aspiring author looking to get your book published? Look no further than Tech Time Publishing Company. At Tech Time, we specialize in bringing the best books to readers everywhere. Our team of experienced editors and designers work closely with authors to bring their stories to life, ensuring every book is of the highest quality. But that's not all. Tech Time also offers a unique service to translate and narrate books and revenue sharing. This means that our talented team of translators and narrators will be compensated with a share of the book sales. So whether you're an author, translator, or narrator, Tech Time is the place to be. Join our community of book lovers and let us help you bring your stories to the world. Visit our website today to learn more. That's techtime.it, TechTime. And if you're looking for a first-class Italian translator, check out Laura Squigna. It's spelled S-G-U-I-G-N-A. Laura Squigna, and you can find her on the Tech Time website under Translators. And a few minutes ago, you heard the Mad Hippie play May the Bird of Paradise Fly Up Your Nose. That was sung by Little... Jimmy Dickens. Now back to serious things. History does not repeat itself, but it does rhyme. That's a quote attributed to Mark Twain. Edward R. Murrow, one of the great broadcast journalists from the 20th century, examines the Great Depression. It will be up to you to determine if any of what you will hear rhymes with the events of today. American can, 181
5: 7 33558 335 5 eighths. Copper 162, New York Central. It was 1929,
3: the year of the golden
5: glow, of the boom, of the bull market, when a nation with a rainbow round its cocky shoulder stumbled onto what appeared to be the permanent plateau of prosperity. The capital was still in Washington, but the nation's pulse was to be felt where two swollen arteries named Broad and Wall Streets met. There, the stock market reflected a nation's fever. Everyone played the market. At 10 o'clock on the morning of October 24th, the traditional bell sounded across the exchange and another day of trading got underway. General Electric, 315. General Electric, 310. But by General 11 Electric, o'clock, it was apparent that this was no ordinary day. This was to be Black Thursday. And for a number of well-known stocks, no buyers could be found at any price. A constricting ripple of fear spread over the startled floor and to every corner of the nation.
7: Margin. You'll have to put up
5: more margin. Few of the millions of people who were playing the market owned their stocks outright. Most of it was on margin. And to do this, more than $6 billion had been borrowed from banks and brokers who would be forced to call if panic seized the market. On the following Tuesday, October 29th, the bottom fell out of the market. No buyers were to be found for anything. American can, 120. It had been at 181. It fell to 86. at t 205. It eventually went to 197. Had been, 304. Union carbide, 73. In September, 137. In November, Union Carbide, 59. In that one fateful day, 16 million shares had changed hands. In a day which saw the ticker tapes running hours behind. In a day which left the mighty National Shrine a bedlam of horror. Its vast floors strewn with 10 inches of paper. Its machinery buckling under the strain. Its operators exhausted in the growing pandemonium. And its customers, for the most part, cleaned out the big bull market was dead. The golden glow of prosperity had turned to dross. But the disease was by no means localized. The toxic germs of despair were pumped to every part of the body. The arteries of commerce were clogged with 5,000 bank failures. 45,000 miles of railroads fell into bankruptcy. Big business that didn't fail retrenched and contracted, and the disease raced on to the capillaries in the cells. 12 million unemployed. More than half a million farms lost as farm prices fell 75%. 1930 brought the droughts to the eroded plains. 1931 brought the bread lines and the soup kitchens and the apple cellars and more unemployment. 15 million now. In 1932, federal troops were forced to fire on the bonus marchers who had encamped in Washington. Defiant farmers stood in line with shotguns to fight off tax foreclosures. The citizens of the richest nation in the world watched its lifeblood turning to water, unable to digest the produce of its burgeoning storehouse. This, indeed, was total depression. This is Robert Trout at our election headquarters in the newsroom in New York. The results of the 1932 election now appear to be certain. The ticket of Roosevelt and Garner has won a clear-cut majority over the Republican ticket of Hoover and Curtis. And so the United States has a new president. He will not take office, of course, until next March the 4th, when on the steps of the Capitol, Chief Justice Hughes will administer the oath to Franklin Delano Roosevelt. President Hoover, Mr. Chief
8: Justice,
5: My friends, this is a day of national consecration. And I am certain that on this day my fellow Americans expect that on my induction into the presidency, I will address them with a candor and a decision which the present situation of our people impels. This great nation will endure as it has endured, will revive, and will prosper. So first of all, let me assert my firm belief that the only thing we have to fear is fear
1: itself. Edward R. Murrow from his Hear It Now series. Now the scratches you hear were from the 78 RPM record that it was recorded on. So, did anything you just heard rhyme with today? It's your call. Let's stay on the news. Like me, I assume you read news on your smartphone or computer, or maybe on an actual piece of paper. And like me, I assume you'll spot an article that raises the air temperature around you because you are burning hot with outrage. And in comes Allie Quick.
0: So, I work for the News Literacy Project. That is a national education nonprofit, and we create resources and curriculum to teach news literacy. News literacy being Media literacy, essentially, some people may be more familiar with that term, but we focus specifically on the news media. Our whole goal is teaching people how to think about news and information, and not what to think. So it's all about building skills for you know critical thinking when we read and listen to and watch the news.
1: I told you before what um, I experienced when I was a reading teacher is that. Somebody could actually pronounce the words and read the words, but they didn't understand the gist of what they were reading.
0: Right. So, yeah, what we teach is kind of along those lines of helping people understand what they're actually looking at. And we do that in a variety of ways. We have several resources, you know, our bread and butter most of our history, we created resources for middle and high school. So we have a broad educator network. We have curriculum that we've made, um, posters, handouts, quizzes, things like this that teachers can use in these settings. In the last couple of years, we've expanded our work directly with adults and who we call independent learners, people outside of traditional classrooms, um, using some of those same resources. So we have, again, um, lessons in things like the standards of quality journalism um, lateral reading, which is a way to kind of verify information that you may be seeing somewhere else, um, and some of these kind of basic, you know, comprehension skills because we, we know that, you know, journalism to people who've worked in journalism, like you and I, it we went through school to learn about journalism, right? But most people don't really know how the sausage is made, right? So mm-hmm. that's some of what we are trying to do is help people understand you know, what goes into making a news story and therefore hopefully help people understand what information they can trust and therefore share in their networks and maybe act on.
1: Next time, Ali will talk about how anyone can post anything at any time and how that affects our consumption of the news. Ali Quick is the director of civic engagement for the News Literacy Project in Carbondale, Illinois. Small town about 50 miles north of where the Ohio and Mississippi rivers converge. And next to Carbondale, about 15 miles away, is Marion. Jill Graskowitz, director of Club 60 in Marion, received a very useful gift recently. And uh, considering that the holidays are upon us, and the family coming to see you, or maybe you're going to see them, and maybe you haven't seen them for a while, and maybe you don't know them as well as you think you should. Jill tells us about this gift she received and might help you.
8: I was gifted a box of cards that are called Remembering a Life. Now, this has a website to it, rememberingalife.com. This set of cards helps you to learn more about your friends and family. Sitting down with your friends and family to talk about their lives can be so rich and satisfying learning about memorable events, people, places, values, and lessons they've learned, you know, it just brings you closer to the people that you care about. And a lot of the times we think we know these people, um, you know, simply by having these conversations with them, sharing memories with them, and hearing stories about them. But a lot of the times that's just the surface So what do we do with this this box of cards that I've been given? Well, over the last weekend, um, we took a long weekend, and my family and I, my daughter and my husband, we were in the car for around five hours and drove to Chicago. Now, I have to preface this with, We're usually talking about goofy things in the car, singing, uh, listening to music. There's just all kinds of weird things that go on in my car. So having this deck of cards was nothing out of the ordinary. And my family was quite excited to play. They were very anxious, um, not only to hear the next question, but to hear how each one of us answered the question. And there's a million different ways you can do this. But imagine yourself sitting down at the dinner table or around the couch after you've had your holiday dinner and learning more about your closest friends and family. So this could be, you know, also a casual gathering of family and friends. You can do it at uh, family dinners. Family reunions, and like I said, vacations and car trips. Um, You know, and it doesn't have to be a long, drawn out conversation um, where you do mini cards. This can be where you look at a card and have something in mind, and you just talk about it on one ship. One, I almost said a cuss word there. (laughs) I mean, it, it wouldn't be a ship. Um, You wouldn't be getting on a ship there Um, when it wouldn't be a shippy trip to the store to buy some groceries, Um, but it might make that shippy trip to the store to buy some groceries a little bit more fun if you had a question in mind and um, you got to find out a little bit more about your spouse or your children or your parents. So um, let's just get straight to it what are some of these questions and what are some questions that you can take from this to your holiday dinners and get togethers and make them more meaningful. So the ones that stuck out to me the most were tell me about a time you got into trouble as a child. Now I knew my exact answer. My answer was that I loved candles and I loved fire. Yes, I'm a firebug. No, I don't pee in the bed, but I'm not allowed to have lighters or candles in my home per my husband. When I was little, my parents had just redone their kitchen and I was sitting at the snack bar with a candle and I was playing with it with my pencil. And on accident, I might have set it on fire and pretended I was the Statue of Liberty Possibly singing some songs. Well, it burned my finger and I dropped it into the trash can full of papers and it caught on fire. I was in so much trouble. Um, it was interesting to remember and, and reminisce about that, about how my parents reacted and um, you know how they would react today. Uh, if I retold them that story and reminded them of it, uh, they would probably ask me how I would like it in my own house and, oh, it would drive me bonkers. So I also heard about um, my husband's. Uh, my husband was in um, kindergarten or first grade and he often uh, spent the afternoons with his grandma and his grandma kind of, you know, anything goes at grandma's house And he decided that he wasn't going to tell grandma and he was very adventurous as a, as a child. And even today as an adult, he decided to take a walk and he was going to walk to these gigantic piles of rocks that the city used, I guess, to fill potholes and uh, chat and, and uh, different kinds of sand uh, for the winter time. well, His dad came to pick him up, and grandma didn't know where he was. Grandma didn't even know he was gone. So his dad starts to drive the neighborhood and finds him about three blocks away. Now, this is a kindergartner, first grader, little guy. He got in so much trouble. He said his dad spanked him. He walked him back to his grandma's house and spanked him all the way home, something he'll never forget, uh, and, you know, I mean, Obviously, you're not going to forget that. So then the next one is, what is something very few people know about you? I mean, this might be something more private, but that you may want to share. Something about myself. When I go on vacation or I I go other places, I don't collect t-shirts. I collect rocks, sand, dirt, water, and I put them in really neat jars. And unless you've been in my house, you have no idea about them because it's kind of weird. I went to Colorado one time and I decided I don't want a a shirt. I want the side of a mountain. I want to put that in my suitcase and take that baby home and put it on my fireplace and remember it forever.
1: Jill Grasquist, director of Club 60, the Marion Senior Center, and we'll have part two of Jill's holiday advice next time. Bob
6: and Marsha Smith are right now. Originally, wedding cake wasn't eaten by the bride and groom. What was it used for?
7: And what continent is bigger than the moon?
6: Mmm, wow, never I never thought, thought of, of that. No, I know. Okay, answers to those and other big questions coming up in this episode of The Off-Ramp with Bob and Marsha Smith. Welcome to the Off-Ramp, the chance to slow down, steer clear of crazy, take a side road to sanity, and get some perspective on the Earth? (laughs) Okay. Wow, so there is a continent on the Earth that is bigger than the Moon. Correct. In terms of surface. Yeah. Well, it would have to be, hmm, either Africa or Asia. So I'll say Africa.
7: Africa, no, oh, oh, gee. The moon isn't as big as it looks, Bob. It's around 27% of the size of Earth, and it has 14.6 million square miles of surface area. Okay. All right, and although that seems like a lot, it is significantly less than the total surface of Asia.
6: Wow. Which is
7: 17.2 million square miles, making Earth's biggest continent Larger than the moon.
6: Larger than the surface area of the moon. Mm-hmm. Wow, that is different perspective. 14,
7: 15, so that's 3 million square miles bigger.
6: Wow, Asia has yeah. more surface area than the moon. That yeah, That's pretty impressive. Okay, this is impressive too, Marcia, <laughs> in its own way. <laughs> the wedding cake? Yes. I
7: never had a wedding cake.
6: Oh, here we go again.
7: <laughs> Did you have
6: one? Originally... In my first marriage, yes. Oh, yeah. She got the cake. Here we go. Oh, my goodness. All these things at the time you talk them through, and they're fine. Yeah, we're going to elope. That's just fine with me, Bob, but where's the cake? Where's the gifts? Oh, Lord. Okay. Originally, wedding cake wasn't eaten by the bride and groom. What was it used for?
7: Well, was it just— This goes
6: back to Roman times.
7: Roman. Oh, those Romans, those— you? Was it just to feed the guests or the family? How about the family, the bride and groom's family, because uh, to just shut them up during the ceremony, just give them <laughs> cake? No. Okay, tell I me.
6: I love that. No, no. <laughs> Originally, wedding cake was broken over the bride's head.
7: Oh, No. <laughs> Really? <laughs> yes. Oh, that's hilarious.
6: Yeah, yeah. Ancient Rome, when marriage ceremonies ended with a scone-like wheat or barley cake broken over the bride's head for luck and fertility.
7: Oh, wow. Still well, sounds condescending, it does. doesn't, yeah, doesn't it? Yeah, it uh, does. So the guy had nothing, huh?
6: Well, the new husband and wife might eat some crumbs together as one of the first unified acts he as licked a married the couple. the frosting
7: off her face? It
6: wasn't frosting. It was like a scone, you oh, know, uh-huh. a scone, a wheat or barley cake broken. Over the bride's head And then that kept changing As times went on So the Romans Brought their cake Breaking Wedding tradition With them When they came to Britain That was in 43 AD But the Brits They decided To throw bread At the bride To show her fertility Throw bread at her Throw bread at the bride In medieval days the English started stacking spiced buns, scones, and cookies as high as possible, like tiered wedding cakes. Yeah. And the bride and groom would try to kiss over it. And if they smooched successfully without tipping it over, they'd have good fortune.
7: Well, crazy tradition.
6: Here's the first recipe for a wedding cake. 1685. Bride's pie. It included pastry crust filled with oysters, lamb testicles. Ah, a thyroid <laughs> a rooster comb and pine kernels. Oh God, that sounds my delicious. Doesn't no it? no
7: buttercream? Just okay. <laughs> All right.
6: And they thought that eating the pie ensured the couple would have a happy life.
7: Well, if nothing else, it certainly would be vomitous.
6: Guess why single women would definitely want to eat that pie?
7: For fertility?
6: Because it had a ring in it somewhere. Did it really? And that's how they determined who was gonna get the next man. Really? Yeah, whoever got that ring in the cake, that was going to be the next bride. So that was the early bouquet throwing. Yeah, so those are the early traditions about wedding cake. You know, let's just crack that wedding cake over the bride's head and get this (laughs) wedding over with. Jeez, it just sounds cruel, doesn't it? (laughs) <laughs> Even though she's smiling, uh, <laughs> standing there with crumbs oh, on her hair. And look
7: at Gladys over there, trying to rip through that cake looking for a ring. Okay.
6: Yeah.
7: <laughs> that is very, very funny, Bob.
6: Well, my next question is about SpaghettiOs, Marshall. Oh, there you go. Remember SpaghettiOs as a kid? Did I you ever w- eat those? No. Okay. How many O's are in a can of SpaghettiOs, oh, let
7: me. 133.
6: Well, that's pretty nothing. You have exactly. a whole can full of broth with 133 O's? For... I, well,
7: they're pretty big, aren't no, they?
6: No, they're not that oh, big. Oh, I never. They're like tiny Oreos. Okay, then well, let they're me made get out of spaghetti.
7: 607. No. How many?
6: 1,750 really? O's no. in every can of SpaghettiOs.
7: No, I don't believe that.
6: That's an important thing. To,
7: How I, big is that? I have Damn. a
6: hard time believing that, too. But according to the book, who knew? The makers of that product say there are approximately 1,750 O's in every can of spaghetti. I don't O's. believe
7: that. Well, they have to be really tiny. I want you to buy a can and count them and tell me
6: (laughs) if it's true. You're listening to The Off-Ramp with Bob and Marsha
7: Smith.
1: Thanks, Bob. Thanks, Marsha. And that wraps it up. Thanks to Kendall Boyson, Becky Salazar, and Kim Scheffner, Allie Quick, Dick Taylor, Jill Graswitz, Bob and Marsha Smith, and Janice Paul. OK Boomer is produced in the studios of WDBX Radio in Carbondale, Illinois, and it's also broadcast on WRFN Radio in Nashville, Tennessee. And you can find OK Boomer with Robert wherever you download your podcasts. Also, you can find OK Boomer on Facebook and check us out on robertrickman.net. That's robertrickman.net. And I'm Robert Rickman saying we all have choices.